Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now on with the show. Okay, so today's guest is award-winning architect and author, Jeffrey Dungan. He founded his company, Jeffrey Dungan Architects, with a focus on creating private residences with lasting beauty for his clients. He discovered a love for drawing at a young age, growing up on his family farm in rural Alabama, and that led him to architecture. He's known for his clean, modern approach to classical architecture and has been recognized by the American Institute of Architects, was named the 2017 Southeastern does Architect of the Year by Veranda and ADAC. You were also a Schutze Fellow, named by the Institute of Classical Architecture in 2015. And your work has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Garden and Gun, Southern Living, House Beautiful, and many others. And you also have your own book, The Nature of Home, which was published in 2018. Thank you so much for joining us. We're thrilled to have you on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get to talk to you guys about these things that we're also crazy about. Well, before I started recording, we were chatting about your drawing and how that led you to architecture. We can even see in the background of your video right now, some, um, some kind of sketch back there looks like a beautiful, uh, (laughs) green landscape. (laughs) Yes. That Um, is a 6,000 acre farm in Mississippi that we're, um, a house on houses, buildings. <laughs> People always ask, when did you know for sure that you wanted to be an architect? And I usually say, you know, about six months ago, I decided mm-hmm. that maybe I could have a career in this, in this field. But, um, the, I, I really wasn't one of those people who was drawing houses and designing floor plans when they were a kid or those kind of things. Although I can appreciate that, that was, um, that was not really me. I was, um, I love to draw, but I was drawing birds <laughs> and, and sort of when I was a little kid, like less things that little boys are into, like army stuff and tanks. Yeah. And I would draw these crazy war scenes <laughs> and, and football players and things like that. But my mom picked up on it and got me some watercolor lessons with a, um, a pretty popular watercolorist named Wayne Spradley, who's, who's still, still doing his art. And so I don't know how often I would go. I was pretty young, but I started taking lessons from him and I I found that I really loved it. I loved doing the watercolors and, um, you know, because the basis and the foundation of that is drawing. And so it turned out that I was also really good at math and and loved (laughs) math. I don't know how you can love math, but I, you know, when I was younger, I, I was confused, I guess. And, and I thought math <laughs> was fascinating. And one of my counselors, my high school counselor said, you're good at art. And since it looks like your career in professional football is not really going to work out for you, you may want to look into architecture since you're good at math as well. And which I just thought, you know, was the, probably the dumbest idea I'd ever heard and um, <laughs> didn't know anything 
But about that time, I had to do a, a paper for, you know, kind of what you're going to do with your life and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I didn't have a better idea of what to write about. So I went to the library and got the Dewey Decimal System out and found some books on architecture and saw these glass houses and Philip Johnson and a lot of the modernists um, in the mid-century and checked out a bunch of books and just thought that it was absolutely incredible. I couldn't believe that people, that there was such a thing as a glass house. And I walked out into the hallway of my high school and realized that the building I'd been walking around in for four years was perfectly round and all the hallways were circular and all of the classrooms were little slices of the pie off of the circle. It just kind of started me on a journey that I'm still I'm still on. I'm still on. That is so interesting. I love that you went to school in a in a round school. Perfectly circular. Yeah. Crazy. And and it had never occurred to me. Never never thought about it until that day. <laughs> so and and then I ended up being accepted to Auburn University's architecture program, which is quite well known and turned out to be one of the top five or 10 in the country. And I, of course, I had zero idea of what I was getting into. I just knew that I needed to find a, a different career than working on a farm. So <laughs> it was a great motivation to, to do something different. <laughs> and here I am. And now here you are designing a 6,000 square foot farm in Mississippi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just never know, I guess. And I had some wonderful professors at Auburn that really, some really were mentors of mine and invested some extra time, which I needed in me and which I'm of course forever thankful. Uh, I accused one of them recently of sort of winding me up like a top and, and just <laughs> releasing me out into the world. And <laughs> now I feel like I'm still kind of spinning around. Well, one of the things that stands out in your work so much, Liz and I were actually talking about this before, before we started was, is your focus on natural light and natural materials. It's sort of enigmatic was the a word that I kept coming back to because I feel like natural light is something that it's hard to understand, pin down as a viewer or someone like you can tell in a picture that it's beautiful, but how does one capture that? How do you work that into the architecture? What is it that captivates you about it that makes it such a big theme, I guess, across all of your projects? Yeah, I think those are really good questions. And I think, what was that word that you used? Started enigmatic? With Enigmatic. I think that's a good, I think that's a good word. I've never heard anybody use that word in conjunction with light, but I think it's a good descriptor. Uh, another word that I love to use is ethereal, mm-hmm. especially with regard to light. So there is this magical um, component of light that uh, I, I can't, I can't explain it either. It's, it has an emotional content to it. It makes us feel a certain way if there's based on the light quality like today I'm outside my little sunroom here it's a rainy day it's totally overcast and kind of gray and you know that has an effect on on how you feel um as opposed to the bluebird sky days when the sun's just kind of shining through it's it's fascinating i've spent probably i don't know how to quantify it but i think it's one of the great fascinations of designing at least in in the work that i'm trying to do the light has a lot to do with it. And so how we bring the light in to a room and the quantity and the amount and the placement of, of it has a, some powerful ramifications. And, and I, I feel a lot in this conversation, like, especially with regard to light, almost like more like a photographer 
and you go out with your camera and you shoot and you're, you're trying to find the light. My photographer, William Abranovich says he's, he's always chasing light when he's, when he's on a shoot. And I feel a little bit like that, even as an architect, but moving to maybe some kind of how to's and things like that. I mean, obviously sometimes we like to do spaces that are taller. When I do a taller space, I always like to have light streaming into it from above. And I love it when you can see the light, but maybe have to search a little bit more for the light source or, or how did the light get in here? And some people would never even, the thought wouldn't cross their mind, but little dormers and things like that that are up high in a, in a roof line can be wonderful. And I, I like to sometimes even place them in strange places that you wouldn't normally think about them being instead of them being regimented. Sometimes I like to have some surprises. That's a powerful way to use light. Also, sometimes the little monitors, I call them the little roof monitors that are up at the ridge. You know, it looks like a little lighthouse. You know what I'm talking about? The top of a lighthouse. Those are fun. Obviously, a lot depends on the style of the architecture, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, something more modern, then you can kind of get away with some crazy stuff. But in more traditional or classical homes, you know, you there's a certain, there's more rules to mm-hmm. uh, be aware of and to try to play along with, but you can still, it's good to know the rules so that you can bend them. <laughs> and you know? I can definitely see that in your work where I feel like you're adding curves and shapes and angles to entryways that I feel like really speak to that kind of photographic quality that you're playing with light on and shadow mm-hmm. and creating these tonal shapes that happen. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's really pretty remarkable. I'm very fascinated also with forms. I've always been into shape and form from a, even when I was in college, I was very fascinated with certain shapes and, and, and certain forms, especially ones that are more curvilinear. And I find those to be really sexy and really fascinating and, and interesting. But you have to, um, I've also sort of discovered that you have to be kind of judicious in their use. And if you, mm-hmm. you know, you see these designs and it's like, well, an arch is a cool shape. So if I use 50 of them, that would be even better, you know, but it's <laughs> not, it's not somehow. Right. So you have to sort of use these, these shapes sort of respectfully in areas where you can really appreciate them. And I love to do things like you mentioned in an entry way where you don't just look at it. You, you may look at it from a distance, but ultimately you're going to pass through that threshold. And now you're going to have a very different experience with that shape. And, and suddenly mm-hmm. you understand that that shape, even though from a distance it looked small, it's actually quite large. And now you're passing through it. And it's also not quite large. It's also very thick. And so there's this very portal-like that you have. And I mean, you know, if you're interested in those kind of things, then that. I think can be a pretty meaningful experience as you, as you enter into a place. So I'm always thinking about those kind of things. And and always, I think you want to lead people through a home or a space or an an outdoor space. You want it to, you want to create a visual interest so that they will move towards that visual interest. And then when, once they get there, you need to have another breadcrumb somewhere at the next Mm. position so that you invite them to take a journey through through the spaces that hopefully they don't need a roadmap. They can intuitively um, understand their way around. And that also gives a person a, a great sense of peace 
because there's not confusion about do I go right or do, do I go left or wh- where do I go from here? It ought to kind of explain itself. I love that idea of like, yes, me too. Leaving breadcrumbs around and, and leading people through the space. Yeah. Yeah. That is, I've never thought of it, of it that way. Like that knowing what you're supposed to do when you come in the house is a way to feel peace about it. That's really interesting. Yeah. I love that idea. Devices too, on and axial relationships too. When you enter into a place where as, as soon as you take a few steps in, you can look to the right or look to the left and you can kind of see through the different rooms and spaces and have an understanding. Oh, that's where the kitchen is. Oh, that's where, mm. the, you know, the, so instantly you have an understanding of those things. And that can be a, a very, you can kind of carry that game on for quite some distance. And then it's fun to have some zingers and some things that you didn't expect. You know, you don't want, you want to be playful and you want people to feel safe. You know, you don't want to feel like you're in a hall of mirrors, but it's wonderful to stumble across something that you didn't expect. So there's an element of playfulness also, I think, that you get to enjoy or try to promote or script maybe a little bit as you're thinking about the design of the house. You can't you can't drop the word zinger without letting us know what your favorite zinger is. Like what have you put into a residence or a building that has just just wowed you? Well, it, it could be a lot of different things. It's just the idea that you want to, in the same breath as I say, you know, you want to understand a house, you want, to, you want a house to be in some way straightforward and, and you want to lead and guide people through it. You also want there to be just some surprises and that surprise could be something like a nook. I, I love nooks and snugs. I love to kind of come into a room and then discover this very small little opening that then opens up into just this little little place that's really only for like four people to have a cocktail um, or breakfast. Or it could be a detail, one that is on a house that is just that I did down at the beach um, that's in Frederick magazine this month was a quite more modern kind of contemporary house. And I brought you into this courtyard and then you almost have to sort of find the front door. It's, it's, it's right there. You can see it, but you don't see it until you get through this long kind of passageway that's probably about, I don't know, 15 or 16 feet long. Um, it's called a Zagwan, which is, um, I, I can tell you about Zagwans in a little bit, but, but then <laughs> I, put, I put the pool up on the second floor because all this stuff's built out of concrete anyway, so it's totally fine. You wouldn't be able to do that with a wood frame structure, but I put it on the second floor and then into the courtyard, I made a waterfall that comes down, but then, which makes you go, where the hell's all that water come from? And how do I get there? So I put a stair. <laughs> so you go to the stair. And so, and then as you, but as you go up the stair, I floated the stair off of the, the waterfall, like four inches. So as you walk up the stair, you got a railing on one side, but you've got this wall of water on the other, and you can just rub your hand across the water as you walk up to the, get to the, where the pool is. So it's those kinds of little things to me that sometimes make a house more meaningful or maybe more powerful. Those mm-hmm. I think a house should wink at you a little bit, you know, like um, even from the exterior, like there should be rhythm, there should be focal points, but then there should be some things that you just go, what is that doing there? Mm -hmm. I like to think that houses have personalities and that they have little moments where they wink at you. I love that. Mm -hmm. Looking at your work, I definitely get a huge sense of joy in your work and playfulness and 
almost like if you had given a bunch of Legos to a kid and they built this incredible <laughs> structure. Yeah. And they're talking about, yeah. And then you walk up these stairs and then you get to the pool that, you know, and it, it, it's unexpected and it's joyful and gorgeous. Just absolutely gorgeous. It's just, it's, it's just as simple as what you just said, Liz. It's exactly that. It is just somebody asked a famous artist, Picasso, what the secret about being an artist really was. And he said, we're all born artists. The trick is figuring, figuring out how to stay that way. And so mm -hmm. there's something about life that beats it out of us, that beats this playfulness out of us, uh, sadly. I think especially life over the last two or three years has probably beat a whole lot more out of me than I ever wanted it to take. But I think the point is that if we can stay childlike in some way in our approach to being creative, you know, that we'll, we'll be a whole lot closer to something that's interesting and maybe fun. And maybe you can give that back to your clients a little bit when they move into your home that you've built for them. You almost made me cry when you said it brings you joy. I mean, that is the ultimate goal of my work is that it brings people joy. And that on, you know, we do houses that are one of my friends calls a gift to the street and, and places mm -hmm. that make people wonder a little bit and have some sense of joy. A gift to the street. I like that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That one too, even though most of my projects are on huge farms or <laughs> somewhere, it's like, well, it's the street is never going to see this sucker. But when you were talking about the hidden front door, when you were talking about the hidden front door, all I could think about was the mm -hmm. Amazon packages. They're all getting lost. They're never making it there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I'm designing a house for my wife who said that if I would design it and pay for it all, she would let me live there with her, which I thought was reasonable. <laughs> and it's on the side of a very steep hill. I don't, I, I'm a glutton for punishment. I love sites that, you know, people always go, Oh, did you tear a house down? You know? And I was like, no, nobody's been stupid enough to try to build on this piece of property in 200. <laughs> um, but she, she's like, we're all, you know, we've got this super steep driveway and she's like, we're going to have to build like another structure at the bottom of the hill for the Amazon guy. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay, we've done that before too. And so we did, we end up with these, this little entry wall, this retaining wall. And then at the end of it is this little dove coat kind of building and has a secret little door on it. And you can put the packages in there. I always wonder with those, those driveways, what, the, how they take the trash out. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I'm going to have to get a guy. I guess. <laughs> Is someone walking out in their underwear at 5 a.m., a quarter of a mile up a... Right. You know. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure either. You'll let you us know. know how that goes. Yeah. You, or you'll just read about me in the paper, architect <laughs> dies in horrible trash gone wrong down the hill into traffic and got hit by truck. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, you know what? Best wishes. Let us know. We would love to hear how you solve that problem. I'm sure you, you'll come up with a solution. Yeah. I did want to talk more, though, about natural light because I'm curious if there's a way to, if your home does not have great natural light, are there things you can do to help it? Or is it something that's just sort of baked into the structure that you will never really solve? 
I mean, I think it's a lot the latter, which is one of the main reasons I don't do a whole lot of renovations. It's just, uh, it's, I spend so much time fixing other people's problems that they created through not thinking things through maybe as well as they should have. And it's just, it's difficult, but there's ways. I mean, mm-hmm. there's definitely ways. There's, there's not probably any really easy ways to do it, but I mean, there's ways to add dormers to an, an existing house, you know, but I mean, you're going to end up sawing through the roof and, you know, got to get guys up there mm-hmm. on top of the roof. And then, you know, you're creating a hole in your ceiling. So it's probably not, not an easy, easy fix to make. It's probably a lot easier to add some windows. That kind of thing is fairly, fairly easy to do. Just, it would just on the local, on the room that you're dealing with mm-hmm. where there's a will, there's a way, I'm sure. Can you change anything about the outside? Like, can you, like, I guess I'm thinking like plants and stuff to bring more light in? It's possible. I mean, it also depends on your orientation. I spend a lot, all of my design work starts with the site and a big part of the site and that study and analysis is the sun and Mm. what's the path of travel of the sun over that piece of property because it's going to do the same thing it's been doing for thousands and thousands of years. It's going to do the same damn thing. So you've got to know where's your light source? Where, mm-hmm. where is it coming from? Of course, South is the easiest direct light to get to Northern lights. Wonderful. If you, so if you have a North facing wall, you can put about as much windows on that side as you, as you want to. You have to be careful though. And it also depends on where you live. You know, if you live in Canada, it's mm-hmm. very different. If you live in California, just in terms of the light, because you can have, and I promise you, you can have way too much of a good thing, especially mm-hmm. the South and the Southeast and the West. So it's like, people are like, great, we've got this wonderful sunset view and we want to make the most of that. And I'm like, that's, that's great. But you also have to be careful because I can build you two story wall of glass and you will bake in your own living room. <laughs> that's miserable. So you have mm-hmm. to be uh, careful and use uh, pretty straightforward strategies that's been around for centuries, like porches are wonderful, especially on Western mm. Express, because that brings that roof out. And so now you've, you can have a bunch of glass, but now you're protecting the glass from the sun in the heat of the day and those kinds of things. And you can use overhangs judiciously. And certainly we, we study all of those kinds of angles as we design a house. Eastern light is wonderful because it comes in in the cool part of the morning. You can be, pretty open to the east and, and not have to worry. It's it's nice to have that eastern light in the morning time before the house heats up, again, depending on where you're at. And that's one of the fascinating things about about the work that, that we do. We're working in California and Canada and in the islands and all over out west. And those are very different places to build. And the, the light and the amount of light that you want to allow in as you move further and further north, grows and grows and grows. Mm. So up north, the game is how I need to use every kind of creative way I can possibly imagine to get light in this house. And when you're in the south, it's like, I want the light, but I got to be really careful because it's a double-edged sword. Uh, mm-hmm. Because with the light comes heat. So, okay, you were, you were talking about sort of the site that you've got. Is that, do you feel like that's more important than people give credit to? if you're just kind of building your own house, it sounds kind of like the sites. It's, it's sort of the raw material that 
you know, the architecture should relate to mm-hmm. examples where it, it doesn't do that, but because people just ignore it. But for me, it's the, it's the foundation of everything. It's the, it's the start of everything other than the people that are going to live there and how they want to live and mm-hmm. what their lifestyle is like. Are they outdoorsy? Are they indoorsy? Do they love to entertain? Do they, when they entertain, is it mostly just family? Is it some friends? Do they have huge parties? Do they like to cook? Do they never cook? You know, do they have young children? What seasons of life are they in? Uh, are they nesters? So all of those things create sort of the program that, that you're trying to work with and work around and give them the life and the lifestyle that, that best meets all their wants and needs. But so I got that, you know, that's, of course, job number one. But then everything else to me comes from the site, everything. Mm. So when I walk onto the site, I've already got their program in my head. We've already had all those conversations. It's all written down. It's it's in a spreadsheet. You know, we go to the site. We spend a few days there with them and we walk the site and I'm looking for three things. I'm looking for the sun and the path of travel we talked about. And then I'm looking at the views. There's two different kinds of views. There's the view that you want to capture and there's the view that you want to shield. Okay. There's Mm -hmm. always something. Maybe it's in your neighbor's ugly ass house that you don't want to see. I don't know what it is. (laughs) There's stuff that you don't want to see almost always, unless you've got 6,000 acres, which most people don't. Then there's the views that you want to capture. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those are pretty straightforward and, and everybody understands that part. And then the last part is the topography and how on this particular piece of the earth, how does the earth's momentum shift and where is the location on this property that is almost inherently desiring a piece of architecture? How could a piece of architecture make the earth in this location even more powerful, even better. Those are the, the sort of the things I'm looking for. And then you take the site plan and the topography, topography maps out and you start to say, well, strategically, here's how given these factors and your desired lifestyle, here's how I would strategically attack this piece of property. Mm-hmm. So how's that going for your own house or I mean, for your wife's house? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going great. We're we're under construction. Foolishly, I thought I could build the house in less time than it's going to actually take to build the house. I probably missed it by like six months, but that's it's fine. It, it's going great. We're getting into kind of the fun part now. The framing's all up, and you know, there's a lot of um, indoor outdoor stuff. There's a lot of courtyards. There's a lot of water features and pools, and I'm very into water and landscaping and that blurring the lines between the inside and the outside. But, but now on the inside where it's all framed up and we're playing with the ceilings, there's one space that's kind of like a chapel kind of space. And that's kind of the great room. And um, it's got a barrel vaulted ceiling in it. It's got some groin vaults that kind of cross vault and it's fun. I'm, I'm leaving a lot of the interior stuff up to her because it just drives me nuts. And I sort of get a little obsessive and all my other clients are like, Hey, don't forget about us over here. We're having to sort of divide and conquer, but it's great. It's fun. We often hear from designers who say that they are their own worst client or their most difficult 
it's hard to design for yourself. You have too many options, you know, you want too many things. Do you, do you found that? I think so. I think you know too much. It's so much easier. I feel like to dialogue with the clients and understand them and make decisions. And of course, it's not like you don't have back and forth and you don't change your mind, but (laughs) there's a stair rail in out in the courtyard because one of the back courtyards you have to go outside into the courtyard to get into a stair to go up to the guest house that's up above the garage, you know, just for privacy and mental health and all that kind of stuff. And I swear to God, I think I'm, I've changed that stair like three or four times, like <laughs> totally different designs. And I'm like, I mean, does it really matter this much or am I just kind of obsessing? Um, <laughs> it's, it's just stuff like that, that sometimes you vacillate. I didn't vacillate on everything, but, um, some things for some reason seem to um, evade one answer answers, <laughs> but it's been fun. You know, it's a, every project is a journey. And I find that the, this is the second house that I've done for philosophically myself. And, um, and that's another reason I call it her house because she's my client. And it, so it kind of helps me not have to, for it to be about me. You know, that little bit of separation helps. Yeah, totally is a, a, a mental game I'm playing with myself. I understand that, but it is helpful. Doing a house for yourself is really fun because you can try things. You know, I have a saying, I like to try something I've never done on every house that we do. I try something new that I haven't done before. And I just kind of make that a point of reference to, to try to make sure we always do that. Sometimes there's two or three things I've never done before. But, you know, that's a risk, right? When you haven't done it before and the client says, well, have you done that before? And I'm like, no, I haven't done it before. Can you show me a picture of it? Nope. <laughs> you still want to? <laughs> you got to like fall off the, you know, it's a trust like, fall. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a risk. Some people are more willing to take risks than others. It's okay. But on your own house, you only have yourself to blame, right? So you can take as many risks as you want to. So that part has really been fun. And I don't know, there's probably, shoot. I guarantee you there's probably a half a dozen things in that house that I've never done before. And there might be a dozen. So five or 10 things that I've never done before that I'm, that I'm doing. Once you've tried it with a client, do you usually do it again? If it, if it goes well? It depends. Sometimes it's something that's so them mm. and so unique that it just wouldn't be right to do that exact thing again. And I always cringe a little bit when people go, Oh, I saw what you did in the house and I want that. I'm like, okay, like, but we got to make this about you. You know, like you you can have some version of that, but probably shouldn't be exactly the same since that's something really unique that we, that we did for them. But I mean, it it does happen. It, It happens, but I try not to let it happen too much. What was it about the site that you chose for your, your wife's house that made you want to build there? It was available. (laughs) certain things aren't for sale and the problem with with us is she really loves design and is i think in some ways as much as i do and she's definitely got a great eye and so she 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 gets it at a strangely high level and i find every she's very smart and and so every year like she's she'll say something and and i'm like you know you're not really supposed to know that like you're supposed to be a regular person, you know, that's some, that's stuff I only, I know, you know, um, <laughs> but I, for, for us, the, the trick was, it was going to cost a lot of money 
to buy something and then tear it down just for the dirt. And, um, mm-hmm. and so we really wanted to try to find just a piece of property and there just aren't many in the area that, that we wanted to build that come available. And lo and behold, one did become available and it was actually two pieces of property on, again, on a very steep hillside, but in a really wonderful, wonderful area of town and looks out over a, a really beautiful golf course, but really looks down on it because you're, you're so high up, you're up in the trees, kind of like a tree house. And, you know, we're kind of at that stage in life when we've done, we've had neighbors and we yeah. don't really have neighbors, you know, we kind of just want to be up there and, and just kind of have this kind of peaceful experience and and so and this checked all those all those boxes and nobody else was buying it because it was so steep they were like holy crap like you can't you can't even get a house on that and mm-hmm. it took me a few months to figure out how to do it and finally finally figured it out it's it's very expensive to, to build <laughs> on a house that that i would be happy with but also on a on such an incline with all those topographic challenges but once you're up there it's it's really amazing because mm-hmm. You're looking at these trees that are like 80 feet, 100 feet tall, and you're seeing them two thirds of the way up. So it's it feels very treehousey. Mm-hmm. That's awesome to have a squirrel's yeah. eye view. And very <laughs> and very private too. Yeah. But at the same time, you're looking out over this not over, but down at this golf course, and she's like, "Sweetie, look, our, our we've got the most beautiful yard in town. It's always green, and we don't have to pay the yard man." Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. So did you buy the house before you knew how you, you said it took you a couple of months to figure out how to actually build the house on this lot. So you, you bought it anyway, without knowing whether it would work. I think I can't remember how I did that. I, I think I had like 45 days to study it and, and do due diligence before we really committed to, to the purchase. And so we studied it and ran lots of different options at it to, to see, you know, if we, if we could, and, and once we were satisfied that, yeah. And I got with a builder and we got up there and dug around a little bit and tested things and did some geotechnical, you know, testing and some civil engineering and figured out how it, how it could work. Do you find that that's something people should do more bring in and bring in their team as early as possible? I mean, or even when they're house shopping, if they want to do a renovation. I think so. I think, you know, the more a good advice that you can get, the better. I think it's I think it's just wise to ask other people that are professionals in that in that area and have expertise in that area. Yeah, I think that's I think that's yeah. a, a good idea. This this was an aberration because this is such a off the charts kind of difficult piece of property. I think most pieces of property probably wouldn't need this kind of investigation, mm-hmm. but but it's always good to, if you can, as much as you can see what the problems are that you're facing to get um, some good professional advice is before you spend a whole bunch of money. Yeah, I think that's wise. Yeah. Well, it sounds incredible. Yeah, it, it truly does. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun. I think we'll be in there by the end of this year. I'm not pushing it, you know, but we'll... We'll certainly be sharing images of it <laughs> at some point, you know, okay, good. In a yeah. magazine article or something like that. Maybe we can have you back and you can talk us all. Yeah, that'd be fun. Fun with it. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, I think it might be time for us to answer our listener question. What do y'all think? Okay. Our decorating dilemma comes from McKinley. McKinley writes, I'm a senior in a competitive architecture school located near New York City. Although I do love architecture, particularly classicism, interior decorating has been pulling at my heart. What is the best way fresh out of college to get into interior decorating professionally? Uh, Second question is, I certainly have my favorite decorators. Should I just cold call them, email them? looking for jobs or should I start with an internship and try to retain a job? Uh, How should I use family connections uh, to decorators that they may know to get my foot in the door? And does it make sense to apply to a specialty school for interior design? And I know these are all interior design questions, but I feel like this, this goes for architecture as well. Yeah, to a lesser degree. I think, look, some of the best decorators, um, around never went to interior design school or some you know decorators slash designers um so to say that you have to you know go in up some kind of prescribed path um from an educational perspective i don't think is in my opinions is is not true i I also would not say that it's a bad idea either Uh, i was in college with um a lot of really talented people, one, not the least of which is um, my friend Ray Booth, who works with Bobby McAlpin. Um, <laughs> sat next to that dude for five freaking years. You know, try, try, try drawing next to Ray Booth for five years and see what that does You know, for you. It, it probably definitely helped. <laughs> did not hurt. Um, but uh, the bar was pretty high over at Ray's desk. And, of course, Ray studied architecture there at Auburn. And, but, uh, you know, and I, he's, he's an architect, and he, uh, but I think he um, probably would say that he um, works um, quite a bit in the interior design side. You know, he was trained as an architect, but probably spends more of his days working on interior design problems and, and solutions than than architectural ones and and then there's tons of um, great interior designers um, that never went to interior design school so at, th- at this time for that particular person having already been in the design um, you know academia studying architecture and so forth that person would have a good sense of the bones of what create good space, you know, because if the bones aren't good, you know, you're just putting lipstick on a pig. They probably already get that. And I would say if that's something that they feel really compelled and pulled by, that they would just want to reach out to some interior design firms that they respect and see if they could get hired straight on or if they wanted to go through some kind of an internship program or a summer internship to kind of get their feet wet and um, see if that's really what they want to do. And also see if, um, if it turns out that it is that, um, that they would have a career there and that they could, could stay. We certainly do that that way quite often where we'll have Mm -hmm. someone that's still in college and they'll come work for a summer. um, And if it's a good fit uh, for them and for us, then, 
we invite them to stay or, you know, come back when they graduate. And um, in many cases they have. So um, especially right now in this current environment with there being so much work, I think uh, it seemed to me like from the question that she was quite concerned or worried that, um, you know, she, she wouldn't be able to get on somewhere um, and that she would need family ties or whatever, which, you know, those can always be, be very helpful. I'm not saying that she couldn't explore that, but I think she might be shocked at <laughs> how readily someone would be willing to take a chance, if you want to call it that, on her. Yeah. yeah. I think you have to follow your heart, you know, and in terms of what you feel like you want to do. And if she's been in architecture school and she's feeling like there's still something more about interiors that is more interesting or fascinating for her, then I think by all means, it's a, how much wiser would it be for her to take that chance and go through, maybe she goes through a year and she does it and she says, ah, I was wrong. I really like architecture better, but I mean, do you really want to live the rest of your life wondering if maybe you should have been an interior designer instead of an architect? I, I certainly would want that. So um, yeah. for, for her sake, I would say, go for it. Yeah. Especially just out of school. Just go try it. And mm-hmm. Got nothing to lose. Cold call is good. I mean, and and never underestimate the power of a handwritten note, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. There was a, um, we, this, this might have been like, in our first year as a podcast, but we had Miles Red on the show, and I know we've referenced this comment he made, but he also never went to design school. He was a film major. There's another one. He was like, you know, I became a designer because I could not, or a decorator because I could not decorate. I just, it was like the easiest, it was just so easy for me to do it because I, you know, had that internal passion and just clicked. And so like choose something that feels as easy as breathing. I always thought that was such an interesting, you know, something you'd want to do regardless or can't help but do. I know. Because that sort of implies you're good at it, you know? Yeah, 100%. 100%. I always say I, I do it for free because I love it so much, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think all of our listeners have, will have heard that one unless you really want us to cut it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was such a fun conversation, and I just really enjoyed looking through your portfolio. And I've been a awesome. fan of yours for a long time, so I'm thrilled that we got to chat. Well, thanks. Yeah, I don't know who whose idea it was to reach out, but I was like, yeah, that sounds that sounds great. I enjoy talking. I'm I'm very flattered that anybody wants to talk to me about anything, you know, related to design or whatever. And but it's just fun to um just have conversations and just talk about these things in, in the day-to-day world of being me, you know, I'm solving problems or trying to and designing and working. And I feel like I'm looking at everything, you know, like this and these kind of conversations help me to zoom out and mm-hmm. or the big picture of how I got here and why it's so much fun. And, um, so it's, it's always an honor to be asked to be on a podcast or whatever. I enjoy talking to y'all. Well, can you tell everyone where they can find you and follow you, see your work? My Instagram's probably the best place to follow me. All my clients do, and they know where I am at any given time. Uh, you know, Beth Webb told me that Instagram is really like a ankle bracelet <laughs> that you wear that tells people where you are. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, my handle, I guess you'd call it, um, on Instagram is at Jeffrey Duncan, J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-D-U-N-G-A-N. Um, and so you can you can find me there and see see whatever's going on in life. I think our website is just jeffreydungan.com. That's a that's another place, obviously. Otherwise, we're here in Mountain Brook, Alabama, outside of Birmingham, and we have a little studio here with about 15 people in it, um, depending on which day it is. <laughs> <laughs> and we're working all over the country. And they can check out your book. Yeah, the nature of home. The nature of home has that thing has gone around the world too. Nobody's more surprised than I am at, at how how that has gone. It's been really neat to see it, and that is available on Amazon, just like most, most things these days. <laughs> and uh, if you're on Instagram, you can click the little link in my bio, and it'll take you to the Amazon thing. You can order a book. All right. We're working on book number two. So it'll be a oh, little great. Oh, that's great. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. And we hope you have a great. good afternoon. Yes. Appreciate it. Good day. Thanks again for the invite. And yeah, this is great. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy Happy decorating. decorating!